Welcome to the Crazy Monkey Inc. Podcast. My name is Corey Hepler, your fantastic, amazing, and sexy host. <laughs> with my co-host, which is equally as gorgeous, Jared Gifford. <laughs> hey. How the fuck are you? Doing all right, doing all right. That's awesome. You know, we've got some updates to give you guys on some projects. Also, um, if you haven't seen it on Twitter and Facebook... We are currently having some issues with our crazymonkeyinc.com. So what we're doing is we're doing www.indieplanet.com. That's I-N-D-Y and then just planet.com. You can find all of our comics. You just can find all the news yeah. that we have for our comics and the things that yeah. are coming soon. So just go look to up, that one. Just look up Crazy Monkey Inc. and then you'll get the, all the spread of comics. Or if you want to go individually, Corey's comic is The Adventures of Taxi Cab Joe, and that is an awesome uh, sci-fi, um, sci-fi action exploitation kind of uh, uh, kind of things. Like if you liked those cool um, exploitation movies of the 1970s, that's that's pretty much. He's like Corey's got the mar the the modern equivalent of that with The Adventures of Taxi Cab Joe. So if you want to look that up individually in Indie, indie Planets, Adventures of Taxi Cab Joe. Um, also, a, a, if you're into epic sci-fi, uh, you can look up Darum, and it'll have all three Darum Captain of the Stars issues. Yeah. And that's D-A-R-U-M. And so, that's the start of the Crazy Monkey Inc. news. Um, some things that we have to go over. Uh, Stefano Cardicelli is hard at work still yep. at the uh, Romeo and Juliet River Gra of Blood graphic novel. We yep. know that it's been a year since you have pledged for the money. He's slowly getting it together. He will have it done by this year. You will get it. I know patience isn't necessarily everybody's virtue, but... It's we worth it. Yeah, it's we, worth it. We urge you to practice it because if you've seen any of the art that he's done for Cherry Bullet, Atoli's Finder, for... Crazy Monkey Inc., you'll know that it's definitely going to be worth the wait. Oh, yeah, and, and that's what I'm saying. So, so totally, you know, you know uh, just, just, you know, I know, I know it's hard, just as Corey said, but no, but seriously, it's totally worth it. It's going to be worth the wait. Just, and speaking of be, things being worth the wait, um, we, uh, Brian Jail Glass and, um, Samir Samal are also still hard at work on Furious. Yes. And uh, and that should be coming out pretty soon as well. And and as I said, just like with the Stefano Cardicelli thing, Brian Gale Glass, he's always uh, he, his stuff has, hasn't always been um, coming out in a timely fashion, but here's the great thing about his stuff. Anything he's come out with, no matter when it's come out, has always been good. Uh, it's always worth the wait. Whether he's working with Samir Samal, Victor Santos, or Michael Avon Oming, you yeah. know that the stamp on all of his stuff is outstanding. Yeah, exactly. You know you're going to get fantastic writing, and no matter what artist he's working with, he's always working with fantastic artists. Exactly. Now, on some other big news. Gasper is on the last four pages of Taxi Cab Joe number three. Yep. And then I'm going to be throwing those pages to Mike, the magic man, Montalvo, to uh, letter and splash with a tiny mm -hmm. bit of color. Because what we're going for is kind of a noir space black yeah. and white feel to it with just the hints of the blood mm -hmm. and the warfare as color because I realized back when I was doing Tax Gab Joe number three that it 
it needed some type of different flair. And I was looking at, I was looking mm -hmm. at um, the Watchmen, and I was like, you know what? This is all black and white, and it's really good, and it was well received. So this is kind of my experiment oh, you're with talking Taxi about, Cab Joe. You're talking about the Watchmen Noir that they yeah, came out with? Yeah, because the Noir one was, you know, if you'd read the Watchmen, the original one in color, it was great, and I loved it. But the Noir version, it just, for some reason, for me, it just pops out, and the characters mm -hmm. are just that much more in depth and i just want to see for myself how it goes if it's something that doesn't do well that's i mean it's whatever i learned something but if it does well then maybe future issues will be black and white as a special yeah so we will just see how this experiment goes bear with me mm -hmm. um it will be coming out this year we have two coming out soon we have three and we have um number two of Sexy Zombie Hunters is supposed to be coming out this year, so I've yeah. got some surprises for you. And also, I'm going to be working when I get my computer on a short novel. Um, I'm not going to give you the title yet. I have it. I've been working on it. But it will be out later out this aren't year. You, um, aren't you also um, planning on releasing your horror anthology, um, hopefully for this upcoming Halloween? Yes. At least, isn't that what you were saying? Yes, this uh, horror anthology... Should be out this Halloween. If it's not, then we can um, always release it in 2020 of Halloween. We've got a bunch of projects taking place. Yeah. We've got Darren Four that's going to be slated for pre-production pretty soon. Yeah. Um, and we've got Ronan Brothers number five being written right now. Oh yeah. In fact, in fact, I just finished the script for number four and uh, and number five. I'm just barely working on. And uh, I know, and this one's going to be awesome as well. Just like what you said with the with Taxi Cab Joe. Um, with this one, this one's going to be in black and white, but it's going to be more in the sort of um, like old samurai movie kind of style. Um, it's 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 black and white because it's it's because it's going to be a little bit more stylized in that kind of area. Um, he wants and, to give it the feeling of the samurai movies yeah. from back in the day because. Yeah. As you've noticed, back yeah. in the day, um, samurai movies yeah. that were in black and white mm -hmm. had such a wonderful and crisp feeling to them. Mm -hmm. It was just like me watching a samurai movie in color. Mm -hmm. It's not the same thing. I mean, they're still cool. The Last Samurai with Tom Cruise is amazing. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. And um, Ong Bak Thai was fantastic. Those three movies were amazing. But Lone Wolf and Cubs actually also a noteworthy series. Exactly. I would also throw in here because it's got a few black and whites in it, so I guess it kind of crosses over. But another series I'm gonna suggest to people that's actually worth watching. And it's you the and one I, you've been. Um, yeah, Zatuichi. Yeah. The Zatuichi, uh, the Zatuichi series. You should, you you ought to check that out. Um, look it up. There's there's 26 movies in the original um, in the original canon. And then there was actually, hilariously enough, there was a there was an American adaptation of one of the stories. Um, there was that 1989 Blind Fury with uh, Richter Heyer. Yeah. Um, that movie was actually based on the um, 17th Zatoichi movie called Zatoichi Challenged. Mm-hmm. And then um, they actually had a remake of Zatoichi in 2003. Yes. Um, there's a side story called Ichi, which is actually about a student of Zatoichi's and... Um, She's also blind. She's a blind musician. She learns how to fight. Anyway, um, she's searching for Zatoichi because he's gone missing. Mm -hmm. um, and then they actually made... A, there was a newer Zatoichi movie that was made back in 2010 um, 
and I, I believe it's called Zatoichi the Last. Yeah, because you had posted about that. I, I, yeah, I, um, I, I, I don't know if I had, but but I do know that that was one. Um, that's one I have to get to. Right now, I'm actually um about. 15 movies into the Zachuishi series. Mm-hmm. Um, You've been watching that for a while. Oh, yeah. Well, it's actually been definitely helping out with the inspiration. And your skewers have been amazing on yeah. each movie. Like, yeah. If you've <laughs> ever read any of Jared's skewers on the movies that he decides to pick and watch, they're very thorough, they're very in-depth, and if you read them, you know that Jared loves to give detail to what the movie's about while still maintaining a mystery enough to where you want to see it. Uh, I, I, what I like to do is I give I give a synopsis that, that uh, tells basically what it's about, but not giving too much away, so it's not, like, full of details, and it's just not like a War and Peace read. But it basically, <laughs> but it basically gives you enough that you know what you're dealing with and whether or not you want to watch it. But uh, but anyway, uh, but that's what I'm saying. Is, uh, so Ronan Brothers, is, uh, and I'm hoping we can get Ronan Brothers number one um, actually, um, out there sometime this year. Right now, we are in the pro- um, in the process of selecting artists. Yeah. Now, is there anything else that we missed for Crazy Monkey Inc.? Any... For Crazy Monkey Inc. announcements? Um, hold on, um, I'm thinking, um, oh, oh. I know that, um, Jason Tudor's Vorpal, um, number three, three is, is almost done. Is almost done. Is gonna be out pretty soon. Um, I know that, um, the, um, five star number two. Yeah, this well, five star number two is actually already yeah, out, and five, and he's and working. The, and Tony Clapper's working on five star number three right now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the uh, five star number three is being worked on. Yeah. Um, I think that's oh, that's pretty much it for most of what's going on. Um, no, I believe the Cyborg Ninja with George Hernandez and um oh, Raz yes is still being worked on. That's going to be coming out hopefully sometime. I want to say sometime during the spring or summer but we'll just have to see it's going to be an amazing mm. take on um ninjas and cyborgs and george hernandez take on that and raz's mm. flair with how he draws characters and how he makes them just absolutely amazing if you've read mm. death squad zero or if you've read midnight's avenger you'll mm. you'll know that when raz tells a story and then when he draws his characters all of it's going to be kick-ass oh, yeah, so exactly <clears throat> but I think that pretty much covers everything for at least the recent announcements, at least what we know what's going on. Yeah. Um, and uh, um, and then anyway, so uh, I guess we can get to the subject that uh, this podcast is about. Um, if you guys remember last week, um, all of you, if all of you remember last week, um, we talked about John Romita and the contributions that he had made to the comic book industry. Yes. Tonight, we are talking about his son... John Romita Jr. And I'm actually glad we got on this subject today mm-hmm. because John Romita Jr. And, and once again, I, I'm, I'm not sliding his father because his father was great, but I didn't experience his father's stuff until later in life. Okay. Um, John Romita Jr. I actually remember learning about before I even learned about John Romita Sr. Well, and I think one reason why you and I had learned about John Romita Jr., earlier than his father is because he's uh, done more recent 
comics. Well, you well, he 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 came onto the scene about the time you and I were reading comics. So he's yeah. more of a artist of our generation. Yeah, so. and through reading Junior, we got in touch with Senior. Yeah, and then we were reading both of them. Yeah, kind exactly. of at the same time. Yeah, apparently. exactly. But yeah, you because know, I because I remember yeah he's done he's done some really great runs on stuff. I mean he's done some stuff for the Incredible Hulk. He's done for Daredevil. Um, he's done stuff for, um, he, uh, he, he I, um, I'm not... Didn't he do a run on Thor? Um. I swear yeah, he did. He did, he did, actually. Um, early 2000s he did. Yeah. He, and Dan Jurgens was writing. Exactly. Good memory. Thank you. <laughs> I, 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 should remember, I should remember that. I have that story arc. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, yeah, no, he, he, uh, he's done some horror <clears throat> stuff. He's, um, he's worked on every major case. He's worked on uh, Captain America. He's worked on Superman. He's worked on Batman. Um He's uh he's worked he, on Spider Man. He hasn't worked on Wonder Woman, and I'm trying to figure out why. Because I believe that if yeah. he got a chance to do Wonder Woman, oh, I he think would do awesome. amazing. I think it'd be awesome <laughs> if he was able to do Wonder Woman. Um, he'd do fantastic. Um, no, but I said, but I do know he's done some of the other major DC characters. I know yeah. he's done some. I know he did some Superman. He's done some Batman. Mm -hmm. Um, I uh, didn't uh, he do Green Lantern? No, actually, no. Uh, he should. He should do Green yeah. Lantern. He should do Green Lantern. Uh, in fact, I know uh, some of the other ones he hasn't, but uh, I know there's uh, several other uh, um, DC properties he's done, and then several other Marvel properties he's done. Because yeah, he's done um, for both companies. Yeah, he has. Um, and uh, it's just a fantastic artist. Um, and uh, you know, I just I just love a lot of the stuff that he's done. Um, you know, he was one of those artists that, as you said, we grew up with. Mm -hmm. And uh, and you know, I, I remember some of his early stuff. I mean, uh, the earliest story I can remember him doing, at least that I wrote, that I read, mm -hmm. was uh, was the run on Daredevil that he did, and that was like uh, that that was somewhere in the nineties. Yeah, that was. I think that was in like the early to mid '90s that he had been doing that. Uh, I think it was so. like '94 to like '96. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was something like that. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. No, it was. It was when Daredevil still had the the cool red costume. Yeah. But it was right before he got that weird costume in the '90s. Wasn't that the one where the double D's they were popping out of the costume instead of um kind of aligned out? Well, of the and then costume? they changed his color again. Yeah. Um, cause I think they, uh, put him in a, it was like this, this blue and red outfit. Yeah, that was fucking god awful. I'm sorry, but yep. I love the stories with you him You don't have to be that. sorry, you don't have to be sorry <clears throat> about that. I think we can all agree <laughs> that many of the superheroes in the 90s went through drastic costume changes that were just god awful. I mean, Wolverine for Christ's sake. He done, yeah. Oh, God. Well, not just that. Not just Wolverine, man. I mean, man, and he was probably a minor offense. I mean, God, did you see the, Thor? Uh, the, the, they changed. <laughs> um, thank God they only did it for oh, one issue. Jesus. But Thor's costume changed. God, he looked like a he looked like a guy who belonged in an '80s metal band. And I remember reading uh, mid '90s Wolverine. Mm. I was like, why? Why are you putting him in these colors? They're horrible. It was the dark brown and the light yellow, and it looked like someone had shit and pissed on a costume well, and told him to wear it. Not, well, it's not even the good one, because the thing is, he did actually have that color in the 80s as well. Yeah. But but, but it was a different kind of thing, um, uh -huh. and actually looked a little better. Um, Actually, I found out why he had uh, done the 
color change, actually. Um, oh, and this really? actually made sense in the story. Um, like I said, you know, in the 90s, it was just because they were trying to be cool. Yeah. But, uh, but, but before, what happened was, um, when he first, when he first started, you know, you know how his color scheme was, like, like, blue and yellow. Yeah. Um, well, um, well, what happened was, after Gene died mm -hmm. in, um... The in, Dark Phoenix in, Rising. In, in, well, yeah, in, in the whole Phoenix saga. Yeah. Um, at, when Gene died at the end of that, um... Wolverine, as a way to mourn her, mm -hmm. basically wore the that he wore that brown and yellow costume, and basically said um, he uh, he would wear that um, while he was mourning. And then the whole thing is, is that obviously when she got resurrected um, later on in the eighties, mm -hmm. he didn't need to wear that costume anymore, and that's why he went back to the classic yellow and blue. Yeah, and like he'd been he'd done the classic uh, yellow and blue. For a long time, it was yeah. like mm -hmm. almost like a decade. Yeah, yeah, and it <clears> wasn't, <throat> and, and the Sunday kept that for a long time. Um, anyway, but like I said, yeah, John Romita Jr. Um, had done a lot of art for certain things like that. Um, I know that. Uh, let's see, I, I said because I remember. Uh, anyway, back when you said like because he, he had done the Daredevil run, I remember that. Mm -hmm. um, he actually had done a short run on the Incredible Hulk. That was the, uh, oh, what was it? It was a specific story arc. Um, and I can't remember the name of it. Um, I, I, what, you have I, it in your room. Actually, I don't, I don't have it. You don't? Um, I don't, actually. I thought you did have it. I, I thought, no, no, um, no, but, but it's a story arc I am familiar with. Okay. Um, and, um, I'm just trying to remember which one it was. I can't remember, was it the past, the past, 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 past and future story arc, or? I don't think it was the past, present, uh, story arc because I don't think John Romita Jr. did that one. I know, but there was one in particular that he did do. Oh, wait. I know exactly what it was he did. Huh. Wasn't it World War Hulk? I believe you're right because he did World mm. War Hulk, Planet Hulk. And no, no. He, he, he actually didn't do the art for Planet Hulk. Planet Hulk no, was he did. Um, but, uh, but he did the follow-up story, which was World War Hulk. Yeah. Um, and yes, I think that did was the, one of you. I think he did the one, um, for when the Hulk came back. That's what I just said. That was World War that Hulk. That was World War Hulk World when he War came Hulk, back. Yeah, we, what happens, it was a story arc after Planet Hulk. Yeah. Because they had Planet Hulk, and then, no, he did, um, John Reed Jr. did the art for World War Hulk. Yeah, and I, mm. ha I have that one in my yeah. house. And it, yeah. If you get a chance to get it, I know it's a little pricey, but it is so worth it because the art is just gorgeous. He does an yeah. amazing job with all the characters. Oh, yeah, and, and he has, he said, really great, um, really great story arcs for very great iconic characters. I can um, remember the Daredevil story arc yeah. you're talking about. Yeah. Because I remember buying it and I was like, holy yeah. crap, this well, art is yeah, awesome. Yeah. Well, and, I, and I remember when I go, went back and, and, and I read it, um, I was actually saying about the, well, that, with the, with that particular story <clears throat> arc, I was like, wow, I haven't read a Daredevil comic this good since the Frank Miller run. Yeah, and if you know, if you've heard the podcast, the Frank Miller that we did a couple of weeks back, yeah. I think we kind of touched on that a little bit as well yeah exactly we did um and uh 
but what we we did talk, we we actually did talk about his um his Daredevil run. But anyway, what I'm saying with the John Romita Jr. and the and the and the art that he did on that one, yeah. Um, I but but the, he had but it was uh, it was actually a great story as well. Um, but that's what I'm saying is that um I remember reading that and then saying to myself. I have not read a Daredevil this good since the Frank Miller run. And <laughs> I think it's really interesting to note that when you pick up a John Romita Jr. comic, not only are you going to get fantastic art, mm -hmm. but every story that follows along with the art is phenomenal and, and and interesting enough um i want to talk about his art a little bit yeah um his style and and once again i want to go back to this you notice and you and i talked about this we talked um, about this just and, last and, saturday and, yeah uh, yeah the well, well, one. Well, I went to senior, yeah, um, yeah thing is both him and his father have very different yet distinctive styles uh -huh. his father's definitely got more of that classic magazine kind of style to it it's almost like not cartoony like this but it's got that kind of as I said, that that sort of teen kind of feel to it, almost like the Archies. Yeah. Um, and you could John, definitely tell that yeah, it was yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. That, and that's what John Romita Sr. was like. John Romita Jr., I would definitely say, if anything uh, about his style, it's very iconic of that time period. It's very, um, it, it, it's a very sort of um, gritty kind of style. Yeah. Um, his his style is not as refined as his father's, and once again, I'm not slagging him because I love him for this. Mm -hmm. His his style, I would definitely say, is much rougher than his father's. And <clears throat> like we said in the Ramita Senior podcast just last week, you could literally put a Junior and Seniors comics right by each other. And you and, wouldn't know they were father and, and son. And you wouldn't even know, because you're just like, okay, these are totally different stylized, yeah. and they're both still freaking gorgeous. And you know, once again, and actually, just as we said in the last podcast, his father was actually very proud of him for that, because he was actually, he said, one of the biggest problems that so many other people had was not that they would have children that had bad art styles, but the problem was is that they'd get these children whose art styles were too similar to their own. So it was almost like they were just mimicking their parents it was like coattailing and like yeah. his father never wanted wanted that for him he yeah. wanted to blaze he wanted him to blaze his own trail yeah exactly and he and, did with yeah. magnificent strides exactly no and that's what i'm <coughs> saying is like with john romita jr the whole thing is, is john romita senior was proud of him because because he because uh, he even said that he said you you compare their art together and they look nothing alike no <laughs> and i believe <coughs> And, and this might just be me, but when I picked up the Daredevil run mm -hmm. that Junior had done, yep. not only was the story, and I know I'm stroking his ego, and it's whatever. The story, it's all right, we love you, John Romita Jr. Exactly. The story was so flawless mm -hmm. that it just flowed with the art, and you. It, it, it was weird because when I read the Daredevil series... It was almost like mm -hmm. I was transfixed into a completely different world, like I had become Daredevil, yeah. and I was doing everything well, that Daredevil was doing. And, 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 if, and if anything, if I could describe, another way I could describe John Romita Jr. style is very, it's very much indicative of the comic book medium. Mm -hmm. um, it, you know, it, it, it looks and feels like a comic book. 
you know, it's not one of those things that's just, you know, um, it feels like this whole other type of genre thing. It really feels like a comic book. You're seeing and looking at a comic book. And, uh, and, and, I'll, and, but I mean, that's good to me. I like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and, you know, like I said, another iconic run I want to touch on and, 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 and you, you had talked about this as well. I loved the run of Thor that he did with Dan Jurgens. Oh yeah. Like, like seriously, yeah. when Junior and Jurgens came together and did that, it was like fucking magic. Oh yeah. It exactly. was crazy amazing. Oh yeah, and, and once again, and a, lot, a lot of people don't uh, don't acknowledge it as much as like the later ones, or even like the Walter Simons and stuff. But which no, we I mean, wish they would. Well, I wish well, I wish they would. <laughs> but uh, I personally actually liked uh, what John Romita Jr. And, Jan, and Dan Jurgens did with Thor about as much as I love that old Walter Simonson run. It's almost like they took what Walter Simonson had done and they made it like ten times better and their yeah. own. That's not to slight Simonson, because his yeah. run on Thor was fucking out there amazing. Yeah. And, like, no one can touch what Walter Simonson did with Thor. It's just not going to fucking happen ever again. Oh, no. Uh, exactly. Once again, and, and once again, this is no disrespect to Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, who helped create and make the Thor that he was for Marvel. Yeah. But, but not nah, to me, the iconic run of Thor, as you said, was Walter Simonson. But if I had a run that came close to that, I mean, once again, it'd probably also be Stanley Jack Kirby. But, yeah. but if I had it on the one is on the same level as that, yeah. in my opinion, it would be the Dan Jurgens, John Romita Jr. run. And what's interesting is it the story arc for that particular Thor. Mm-hmm. Was completely different than any other Thor story had well, ever been. Well, interesting enough, and I love, once again, that you bring up that point, because what had happened was they had this event, and this is when, um, sadly, in a way, when DC and Marvel, and especially Marvel at the time, was starting to change up the universe. Yeah. Um, what had happened was they had finished sort of the initial run of comics in the late 90s. Yeah. And so they decided to end... All the old storylines. That was when they had ended the crossovers that they were doing together. Uh, oh yeah, uh, but that's a separate issue. Yeah. Um, but what I'm saying is, is uh, with uh, with this, what happened was that they decided to all end the storylines of the current comics they were doing, like basically those versions of the characters. Which was really dickish. Yeah, but it, that's it just happened. my opinion. But but anyway, what happened was <laughs> then they did this. Um, but then they did this event called Heroes Reborn. And uh -huh. and then what happened was basically it was supposed to be um, all the characters were back, but they were starting out with new number ones. And that's what started kind of the spiral of, hey, let's do new number ones every, once every five to ten years. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was horrible. But but what what happened was was that you what you got with that story was that it was you got the idea that this was Thor. But it was kind of a fresh take on Thor. And, interestingly enough, they went back to him having a dual identity again. Interesting enough, almost a la the really old stories. Yeah. Because you remember um, um, how in in the original Thor, he was two dual personalities. He was, mm -hmm. um, he was Thor and he was Dr. Donald Blake. Yeah. Um, and he only changed into Thor when he needed to. Um, well, it changed into Thor when, yeah, when he needed help save people or whatnot. Or, it's kind of you know, like, yeah. you know, how 
um, Superman. Exactly, 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 uh, uh, like almost that. like that. But uh, <laughs> but basically, um, they they went and gave him a dual personality again, um, and uh, and then and then also um, they they threw in some older villains that he hadn't faced in a while. Yeah, like they they brought back the Wrecking Crew. Uh huh. Um, they uh they 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 brought back um the uh the absorbing man yes um and they, re they yeah. reinvigorated a lot of villains for thor oh yeah especially during that run and, and yeah. once again they don't give it credit for that um the uh they had uh they had brought back the destroyer yeah um big iconic character for yeah. thor to face yeah exactly um you know it was uh you know and then um um, and, and, and then you had your classic Loki back, uh -huh. um, you know, um, and then, and then interesting enough that you know, I like how he furthered the story later on. Um, unfortunately, uh, John Romita Jr. Um, their, the run with Dan Jurgens lasts until about issue 25 of that run. Yeah. But Dan Jurgens kept going. Um, and, uh, but then what I like about that was he furthered the story that basically Thor, um, unfortunately, um, his father ends up dying, um, you know, Odin and, uh, and then, uh, Thor has to take the mantle of being, uh, king of Asgard. Yeah, and Loki gets all pissed off about it. Yeah, and then basically, uh, <laughs> starts a big old fucking feud. Yeah, big old feud, but then, <laughs> and the, but then it leads into the, um, then it leads into the, um, Thor disassembled storyline, which is part of the Avengers disassembled thing. Uh-huh. And, uh, in that one, um, basically, and... Uh, uh, coming back around, you said you mentioned Michael Avon Oming. Mm -hmm. Well, Michael Avon Oming did the art for that Thor storyline. Yes, he did. Yeah, amazing yeah. artwork. Like, yeah. if you ever get a chance mm -hmm. to get your greedy fucking hands on some Oming, yeah, do so because you. That's money well spent right there. Oh, yeah. Oming's got a fantastic But, 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 but it led into that, which basically led into Ra the Ragnarok scenario, and then yes. Asgard basically gets wiped out for it. Um, in fact, um, the Thor character was pretty much gone out of the Marvel canon for about two years. Uh -huh. Now, they had uh, sort of like a cyborg Thor story, and... Uh, and then, well, that didn't work out so well. That Thor... one I wasn't too fond of. I mean, it was still Thor, and well, I still liked it, but it well, wasn't... Well, no, because the guy, the, 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 the cyborg went crazy and killed a few Avengers. Yeah, and it's like, wait a fucking minute, this isn't yeah. Thor. Well, no, but the, no, I like it, because when uh, Jamie Michael Straczynski brought him back, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and it was pretty awesome. But that's, I'm going off. But anyway, back to John <laughs> Romita Jr. But no, I do like, because he introduced that whole Dan Jurgen storyline, and, and I think that one gets underrated, as I said. To me, that's actually a very good run of Thor... They brought back some old characters. They introduced a few new ones. Uh -huh. It was it, to me, it was great, uh, and I think it gets overlooked. It gets wedged in between all these ones that people consider to be great storylines. Because I mean, the sad truth of it is, is it gets overlooked because it's wedged in between two great storylines. It's uh, it it came uh, it, it 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 came after the um. The, the sort of uh, Walter Simonson and then shortly after Tom DeFalco's storylines. Yeah. Um, um, and... Uh, and it came just and, before... And, and, well, no, it's, it, came, it came before those. Uh -huh. Well, not before, I mean... yeah, it came yeah, after. Yeah, after, sorry. It came after those. And then it came just before... Yeah, you're right, just before the J. Michael Str the Straczynski run was considered to be like the definitive comeback Thor story. Yeah. And so it... <sighs> 
it was almost like the reason it was forgotten is because you had these two fantastic events that had happened in Thor's life in the past and in the and future. And it happened in between that. And it's, and it's just like, and it was a really amazing run. And Jared and I are at odds trying to figure out how could this have gotten forgotten for so long? Oh yeah, and now and now let's uh, address another uh, some another cool uh, another cool uh, scenario. And I don't know if you read this one, but I read this. I read this. Uh, Which story one are you arc, talking about? And I thought it was awesome. Um, well, it, and, uh, going back to another definitive Marvel character that he wrote uh, later on is his run on Captain America. Who the fuck hasn't read Captain America? No, but I was wondering if you read this particular run. It was it uh, it happened. Um, God, uh, what was it about six, seven years ago? Um, yeah. But uh, but basically, in this one, what happens is, and I like it because it's a different kind of Captain America story, not the one you're kind of used to. But um, Captain America ends up in this sort of post-apocalyptic. Um, universe. Yeah. Because he gets sucked into this other dimension. And he finds out it's actually a dimension that's been created um, by um... God, what the hell's his name? It's not Baron Zemo because he's the one with the purple mask. But, um... It's not Bucky, is it? No, no, no. Buck, uh, Bucky was not But uh, it was, uh... I'll, I can describe him to you. He was the bad guy that he had like, um... He had like this um... the screen face... Um, and, uh, and, and, and it was set right here in, in this weird kind of body, headless body that he had. Mm. Yeah. It, it, and, and it said, and his face was like this TV screen. I'm going to um, have to go back and check that out. Um, yeah, see, and, and right now I get put on the spot and I totally forget his name, but he's one of Captain America's, um, uh, villains. And he's one of, and, and basically he was a guy, he transferred his consciousness into this body. I fucking um, hate it that we forget that shit. It's like, uh, uh, anyway, go on. Anyway, um, but anyway, this <laughs> what, what happens is the, this villain has created this whole artificial world mm -hmm. where he rules and where it's filled with all these weird kind of creatures and whatnot. And uh, Captain America, interestingly enough, um, ends up taking care of this uh, this kid who's got like his, you know, he's got like no family and everyone uh, in his family's been killed. Yeah. Um. And, uh, no, it's just a really cool kind of... It almost feels like if Captain America were in a Mad Max movie. You know, I, I'd pay money to see that. Yeah. Just saying. I don't know what I'm saying. Well, John Romita Jr.'s uh, art uh, makes it great. Um, but, yeah, it was pretty much... It was a very unique Captain America story. Not not a Captain America story that um, that you would expect. Um, but, but yeah, that's what I, that's what I was saying. So I wasn't sure if you were familiar with that one, but no, if you're not, you know, I, I encourage you to read that. I think you'll enjoy it. It's, 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 it's very different. It's not your typical Captain America story. I'm actually kind of glad that you brought that up because I yeah. read a lot of fucking Captain America and it actually kind of irritates me that I haven't heard of this one. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> but, uh, that's what I'm saying. And, and so if you want a different take on Captain America, check that out. Check out John Romita Jr.'s run on Captain America. Just a side note, and I know this sounds really dickish of me to say, Go but ahead. I have never been a fan of Bucky. Um, you know, you're not the only <laughs> one. I think there's a lot of people that have been like that. Um, it's funny is uh, a lot of people actually like the Winter Soldier version of Bucky. Well, yeah, because yeah. he's not a little bitch. But uh, but yeah, but but the classic <laughs> version of Bucky. I mean, but once again, you, you can kind of understand, and a lot of people said this too. Bucky, if you really look at it, because there was a lot of characters that ripped off. 
certain other characters from each other. Yeah. DC and Marvel have been ripping each other off for years and years and years. That's how they stay in business. Yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> back when Marvel was called Timely Comics in the 1940s, yeah. what happened was, and when Captain America was first created, what happened was, because um, I can give Batman this. Batman was the first comic book to introduce the whole idea of a sidekick. Uh-huh. And that was when they decided Batman uh, needed Robin. Anyway, shortly after, because it was only a few issues after Batman had introduced Robin, over at Timely Comics, they decided, oh, we need to capitalize on this old sidekick thing. Because why not? So, Original ideas and shit. Yeah. So basically, Jeez. what they decided is, uh, you know, after having that iconic issue of Captain America uh, giving a right cross to Adolf Hitler. Yeah. Um, awesome fucking issue. Oh, yeah. Well, that was the premier issue of Captain America. Exactly. Yeah, and uh, um, anyway, um, after he does that... Then, um, then basically they decide shortly after that. Oh wait, he needs a he needs a sidekick. He needs someone he can talk to, so he doesn't sound like he's a psycho. Right. Well, that was kind of the consensus. This is the same reason why they decided that Batman needed a sidekick. Yeah. Although hilariously enough, you notice that Superman didn't really get a sidekick until the 1960s, and they decided, hey, um, actually, well. Wasn't before it that. Jimmy? No, no, no. Actually, no. It was the 1940s. I'm sorry. It was the 1940s. Yeah. But it was a few years after he had premiered. But yeah, that was when they decided because uh, the radio show had decided that Superman needed a sidekick. Yeah. Now I remember now. I remember now. And they decided, oh hey, let's give a young uh, report, make a young reporter Jimmy Olsen his sidekick. And they actually did a whole fucking run on Superman. And Jimmy Olsen, and I was like, "Well, Why? yeah, Jimmy Olsen had his own." And actually, many, many of the uh, there was like a super family. Uh -huh. There was there wasn't just Superman who had comics. There was Supergirl, and they and she's still around. Mm -hmm. But then, but then, interesting enough, they had a super dog, and he's not around anymore. Yeah, they had a they had a super cat. They had uh, yeah um they they uh. Let's see. They they even had uh, various other super characters that hilariously um, had short runs. But then, yeah, even all the, some of the side characters got their own runs of comics. Then there was Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen. Yeah. Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane. I <laughs> actually have never read that. Yeah. On the pretense that I don't know why the fuck they even threw Lois Lane in it to begin with. And I probably will never read it because it's just so damn corny looking. Um, well, I guess it depends on the story arc. Because actually, were some interesting, cool story arcs. Yeah. Uh, you should read some of the 1970s stuff. There was one cool story arc, and I think you'll like this. It was uh, it was addressing racism at the time, and um, they have that one at the comic shop down here. Uh, they might. Um, no, they actually do because I oh, remember okay. seeing it. Okay. Well, hold on. I was going to tell you what mm -hmm. this one was about. What happened was. Um, Lois Lane decides she wants to go and do a story um, in Harlem, but the whole thing is she knows that people aren't going to talk to her because she's white. Yeah. So what she does is they have this machine, hilariously enough, yeah, you know, great thing about comic books. Yeah, they have a machine which will turn her into a black woman. 
Um, you know, because that's not racist at all. <laughs> and uh, anyway, no, but what's a cool, what's cool about this, actually, Yeah. and, and this is where it's not racist, um, I mean, you can tell they were trying. Once again, 1970s, and yeah, by nowadays standards, that would be really bad. Oh, yeah. I totally agree. But I can understand they were trying to make an effort here, and here's where it actually has a good moral to it, mm -hmm. was when she, when she becomes black, she starts seeing that there is a difference. There is a difference between how white people are treated and how um, someone of a different ethnic background are treated. Yeah, because she and, was actually kind of treated like shit in this. She was. <laughs> in fact, at one time she tries to wave a taxi and the taxi acts like she's not even there. Yeah, it just goes right by her. Yeah. And then, uh, and then interestingly enough, what happens is um, she ends up developing this friendship with, uh, with this other black man while she's... Um, well, while she's out investigating this whole case and everything. Anyway, what happens is uh, the guy ends up getting wounded. He's in the hospital. And what happens is uh, she gives him a blood transfusion. Mm -hmm. And here's the funny thing is after she gives him the blood transfusion, like at first he thinks he's getting a drug blood transfusion just from another black woman. But then what happens is, and this is where you kind of have this kind of nice, at least the sentiment's okay. Uh, mm -hmm. you, you know the sentiment and, and, and it's kind of a cool ending. But then at the end of it, she... She actually turns back into a white woman, reveals to this guy that that was her the whole time, mm -hmm. and it's you kind of have this cool kind of coming together moment where basically it's like okay, um, you know, I understand that I that I'm white and I will never under and I'll never understand how badly you've been mistreated, um, your whole life. Yeah. But I've gotten this taste of what it's like to be you, and now I have more respect for you. And that actually really was impressive to the black guy because yeah. he, he knew that she didn't have to do that, but she yeah. did it because she cared. Well, and she wanted him to know that 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 not that not everybody is full of hate. Exactly. The whole thing is is that regardless of what color you are, and I, you know, and once again, everybody has their own opinions on this. But all I want to say is that, in my opinion, regardless of what color you are, I think as long as you're a decent person, at the end of the day, you treat everyone else decently, regardless of what race they are. You know, the whole thing is is that it it will show, and people will respect you for that. And if you've gone back in our podcasts. Yeah. Probably like a good 20 or 30 of the fucking things. Mm -hmm. We did uh, racism and sexism in comics. And that was a very definitive episode for us, actually. Actually, yeah, I loved that one. I, I like it when we tackle these uh, subjects. Um, anyway, that's what I'm saying. Is like, uh, so, you, you know, you go and check these things out. Um, but I said, John Romita Jr.'s run on Captain America. Check that out. Yeah. Love it. Um, and now I'm going to address another favorite of mine. It was a short run, but it was still very awesome, and I loved it. Because two great powerhouses teamed up for this comic. And I'm talking about, once again, John Romita Jr. is one of them. He uh -huh. did the art. But the writer was Jeff Johns. And uh, Jeff Johns is like one of the big time writers over at DC. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out which one you're talking about. Um, their short run on Superman. You mean the one that had only like 10 issues? Um, it, yeah, I believe it was... It was uh, it was was it seven or ten? No, it was it was. I think they did two story arcs together. But uh, but I think it was about I think it was about ten issues. I think yeah. you're right. Okay. I think it was about ten issues. But the whole thing is that one story was still very awesome to me. I liked it. It was it was actually a good. Uh, to me, it's one of the more underrated Superman stories. Once again, mm -hmm. it's so funny is that uh, John Romita Jr. seems to work on these projects that 
that they initially don't get that noticed, but when you look back, look at them back in hindsight, as you start to see, wow, these are really good iconic runs. Why in the hell are these not getting more recognition? And uh, something more recently he's done was he did a um, he did a graphic novel. It was kind of a I guess what you call like a it was I don't know if it was a prequel or a side story. Maybe I guess I call it. They call it a little of both, but it was basically sort of a prequel to, you know how like Frank Miller did uh, third Dark Knight story called uh, Dark Knight Three: The Master Race. Yeah. Um, John Romita Jr. Um, actually did one that was kind of a prequel to that, um, and it was um, um, and, um, and it was a, a story kind of of Joker and everything, um, and then interestingly enough, and and they've kind of actually. Um, um, another Frank Miller property they went and redid, and John Reader Jr. did the art for it. Was they did a newer All Star Batman? Oh, that's right. I remember reading that one. And uh, and that's what I'm saying. And John Romita Jr. did the art for this more recent one. Uh huh. Um, and I guess uh yeah yeah so I mean uh and uh and that's actually um uh, and that's actually kind of. Well, one of the more recent things he's done is that is some of those Batman stories. Mm -hmm. um, but they're kind of like, like I said, they're not part of the main tier books, but they're like, they're like side stories and stuff. But they're really good. They're really good. Okay. Um, so no, I mean, if you get the chance, no, just look them up. Uh, totally worth it. Um, you know. Um, but. Uh, but if anything, yeah, you know, um, and and. It, if I would say anything about John Romita's Jr.'s run on anything, it seems like, for the most part, there's some that stick out and some that people know right away. But I would actually have to say that he's he's actually done a lot of um, story arcs and whatnot that I would say are very underrated when I really look back at it. Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of his stuff is underrated um, because, as I said, he did that run on Thor with Dan Jurgens. Yes. And... Interestingly enough, as we said, that doesn't seem to get as remembered as some of the other big major arcs. Um, he did that run on Captain America, which also gets kind of buried and underrated. Yeah, um, which sucks because it's yeah. a good one. I mean, once again, he does these awesome ones, but but it seems like not a lot of people notice. And then you said he did that, to me, did that really great Superman run. Mm -hmm. And not a whole lot of people remember that either. Um. And then, and like I said, and he's done some of that more recent Batman stuff, but it's so funny. It's like, it seems like he's, I don't know if it's timing or what, but it seems like he's always wedged in between these other great things because um, the stuff that John Romita Jr. was doing for Batman more recently, it was like because it was wedged between Scott Schneider and Greg Capallo's run on Batman, uh -huh. and then and then the more recent Tom King run on Batman. Um, You're talking about the Tom King one from 2017 or 18? Huh? Oh no, I'm just talking about because Tom King's the one who's who's actually currently writing Batman these days. Oh, okay. I'm All talking right. about. I thought there was like a certain arc you were. Talking no, no, about. no. I'm I'm saying is a lot of a lot of his stuff. It seems to be they get overshadowed by this because there's other big time guys who are writing Batman and are, are doing very well, mind you. And yeah. I'm not I'm not mocking them, but what I'm saying is what what I just feel bad for poor John Romita Jr. is it feels like his stuff is getting overlooked because it gets placed in between these other great iconic 
um, uh, character uh, runs of other things. Yeah, um, true. And uh, uh, and like I said, I mean, uh, technically with the stuff he's doing on Batman right now, they're not part of the main tier stories. They're not part of Detective Comics or Batman. Yeah. But uh, but they're more like side stories to different things. But I still think they get overlooked because most people are, are busy talking about, oh, you know, that Scott Schneider, Greg Apollo run of Batman was awesome. Or, <laughs> um, or hey, you know, that, that current Tom King stuff. I just totally love what he's doing and blah, 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 you know. Or, or they'll go back on the classic stuff and everything and be like uh you know he's like man i love that you know you, you, you know uh you, you love, love those classic batman stories like like night quest or no man's land or mm -hmm. something um you know but what i'm saying is is that um just going back to the point i was making with john romita jr it's just like he's got amazing stuff and you and i both talk about this mm -hmm. but it just feels like it just feels like he gets overlooked by other once again just as great artists, but it feels like it feels like he should be getting the same kind of praise that these other people are getting. Uh, true, and it's kind of like I see it as an injustice. I don't know yeah. about you. Oh no, I'm, I I agree with you on that one. I really think that, I mean, for those who love John Romita Jr. like us, I mean, you know, there's no contest. We're like, oh, you know, I totally love what you're saying. But for those who aren't familiar with the stuff, I mean, and in fact, sadly, I've actually met a few people, maybe people who don't like his stuff. I mean, I will. Give, uh, I will say this, John Romita Jr. is a very stylized artist, and he is one of those guys, um, and I would and I would use this because it's a good comparison, um, John Romita Jr. to me is a very much similar to Rob Liefeld just in the fact that he's these, this kind of artist. He's an artist that you either really love or you really hate. Uh-huh. And, uh, and that's the, and that's the problem, is that, um, is that, <laughs> you know, um, if you love him, yeah, you're going to be like us. You're going to be like, oh, wow, you think you should get more recognized. I think you should get more accolades for his stuff. But then, you know, but then the people who really, really hate him are probably probably saying to themselves, yeah, it's a good thing he doesn't get recognized because he sucks. Jesus. <laughs> now, with all of this said and done, mm -hmm. when it comes down to it at the end of the day, both senior and junior mm -hmm. uh, are great artists. Are great artists and... You should pick up both of them because not only are you not going to be disappointed, but no. you're going to be pleasantly surprised that while how their art style and how they decided to depict same said characters differently, to, that they're both equally as fantastic. Oh yeah, and one thing I want to touch on right before we end and get to our recommendations yeah. for books and whatnot. Good. Um, one thing that both John Romita Jr. and John Romita Sr. both share. Is that they've both had runs on Spider Man. This is true. Um, I think it's the only thing that they have. Well, yeah, the, the, but I'm saying it's kind of cool that father and yeah. son shared a legacy because John Romita Sr., as we talked about, he was the guy who took over after Steve Ditko uh -huh. um, and worked, worked directly with Stan Lee. Um, so, I mean, that's gotta be awesome that John Romita, I mean, yeah, he's, you know, he's probably got great stories about Stan Lee because he got to work directly with the guy. Um, and then John Romita Jr. worked with just a, as just as awesome a uh, writer. Um, John Romita Jr. did the Spider-Man run in the early 2000s. Um, really awesome Spider-Man ride, by the way. Written mm -hmm. by one of another one of our favorite writers, J. Michael Straczynski. Oh, that's right. In fact, I think we should do a Straczynski 
we, uh, podcast. In, fa- in fact, in fact, if you wanted to, yeah, hey, here's the whole thing. Uh, maybe right now, why, why don't we? Why don't we next podcast? We'll do a special on J. Michael Straczynski and his iconic runs on stuff that we are fans of. We can actually do that this Wednesday. Yeah. All right. So you heard it here. Next Wednesday, J. Michael Straczynski. Nice. Now. <laughs> Um, do you want to go first or you want me to? Okay, well, yeah. I, well, for that said, we're going to wrap <laughs> up with the John Romita Jr. The John Romita Jr. stuff. But yes, definitely check out both their iconic runs. John Romita Sr., John Romita Jr., check out both their runs on Spider-Man. Excellent. Anyway, um, starting off with recommendations. Uh-huh. Um, let's see. For, uh, for comic books, um... I'm actually going to suggest this just because I've barely got the new trade edition. I'm going to suggest Powers. Oh, that's it, right. You just barely got the second one, didn't you? I barely got the yeah, second got trade of it. And uh, and it's written by Brian Michael Bendis with Michael Avon Oming. Um, and, uh, there was one other guy that helped him out with that. Um, but it was, well, it was mainly those two. It was yeah. Brian Michael Bendis with Michael Oming. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, and, and anyway, just really awesome one, um, under underrated kind of comic, and it's basically about these two cops who investigate crimes that have to do with superheroes. Mm-hmm. Um, de- no, no, definitely worth a read. Really awesome. Uh, I got like that stylized art that Michael Oming has, and once again with Michael with Michael oh, Michael Oming, uh, is another great one I would suggest, and actually I'm gonna go there too, is. His run on um, the Mice Templar, which he co which he co created with Brian Jail Glass. True, <laughs> and and yeah, and so I, I would suggest both of those two. Um, and uh, let's see, um, in terms of in terms of novels, um, I am going to suggest the uh, Dark Tower series from Stephen King. Um, and that, that was, that was one that actually, hilariously enough, I'd actually read, um, uh, several years ago. Um, well, more than several years ago. I, I read it back in the nineties. Okay. Yeah. But, uh, um, but yeah, no, definitely. And, and it was actually, um, one of the, one of the first things were, I mean, granted Stephen King had written different stories before, but he had to use pseudonyms, but this was one of the. Um, one of the first series, besides Eyes of the Dragon, where he did something other than horror and used his real name, used Stephen King. True. And, because those who've read the Dark Terry series, yeah, it's got kind of horror-ish elements, but it's more of a fantasy. Um, and, uh, no, I, I would suggest that. Anyway, um, what about you, Corey? What about your, uh, favorite, uh, what about your, uh, recommendations for comic books and novels? Um, for comic books... I'm not going to do Ramita Jr. because we've already, like, covered pretty much everything that he's done. Oh, yeah, no, exactly. I mean, uh, that's the whole thing. It's like, uh, we, we've already spanned his career and already made recommendations for plenty of great Ramita Jr. stuff. I'm going to go back in time just a couple of decades. Mm-hmm. To when the very first Conan the Barbarian comic came out. Nice! So... So you're gonna uh, so you're gonna suggest the uh, the Roy Thomas Barry Windsor Smith stuff? Hell fucking yes I am. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the art style and just the stories and the in depthness of the stories and even 
even the cliffhangers at the very end of each mm -hmm. run was just iconic as hell. And yeah. if you get a chance to get those, please do. If you can get them on Amazon, awesome. If yeah. you can get them from like a convention or somewhere else, if you mm -hmm. got a grandfather that was into comics and see if he can have, get some, I would so urge you to read that because Conan to me was the iconic badass who, you know, even when he got captured by his captives, he'd somehow mm. get out of it and he would kick so much ass. Yes. It makes it makes Batman look like Barney. Well, yeah, but 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 he was supposed to be. But he was called Conan the Barbarian, so yeah. of course he had to be like a barbarian. Uh, he was willing to do the stuff that other heroes weren't. Exactly. He and was that... like a, he was he was the Punisher before the Punisher was the Punisher. Exactly. He makes the Punisher look like a pussy. <laughs> anyway, but uh, but no, I, I don't. That's a that's a good one. And in fact, for those who don't um, don't know. Um, Marvel just reacquired the rights to Conan, and they've actually, yeah. and they've actually, and they've actually come out with a <laughs> with a with a huge, freaking um, omnibus. Uh, I don't know if they're counting an omnibus or a compendium. I think it's a compendium. But uh, but yeah, they're basically it's a big thick ass book. Um, you know, I, I will admit it's gonna be a, it's a little on the pricey side. I think it's about fifty bucks. Oh, I know. I'm gonna get it. I dropped but, fifty fucking dollars for that. But 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 what I'm saying is, it's it's, it's a big ass book because it yeah. collects um um like uh, most of the old Conan um, comic book stories from the 1970s. Yeah, it's like a goddamn paperweight. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it's like it's like the War and Peace of comic books. Exactly. Um, but no, but worth it. Definitely worth it. So if you want that iconic run, Marvel has definitely has compiled. Um, a lot of the old stuff. Which I'm extremely excited about. Yeah. Um, and uh, anyway, what about your novel recommendations before we head off? Novel recommendations. If you haven't read the first five books of the After Dark series by Sarah Bailey, please, for the love of all that is Christ and holy, <laughs> go to Amazon, pick those up, and read them. Because number six in paperback is going to be hitting... Amazon stores this Monday or Tuesday because yes. the Kindle version's um, already on there. You can get the Kindle version of number six. Mm -hmm. um, so if you want the Kindle version, go ahead and get that. If you want the paperback edition, which I'm not a big fan of digital because I like the feel of a book and a comic in my hand. I like flipping yeah. the pages because... Flipping a screen is just so fucking mundane. There's no emotion to it. Oh, uh, yeah. You well, know? once again, and, and it's all just preference. But whether whether you want digital or you want um, or you want print, um, that's where you can that's where you can get it at. Is uh, no, definitely check it out on Amazon. Um, you know, buy the print edition, buy the Kindle edition, buy whatever edition you want. Just exactly. Just buy it, read it, and enjoy it. <laughs> exactly. And so that would be my uh, book recommendation. Now, gear yourselves up for Wednesday because we've got a shitload of stuff <laughs> for this upcoming podcast that is going to yes. blow your damn mind. Yes, and as far as our um, as far as our creator spotlight, as you said, Bor, we'll be talking about J. Michael Straczynski. Exactly, and if you don't know who that is, 
bone up because this Wednesday you're gonna get a whole fucking Britannica of knowledge <laughs> on him. And you're gonna have to write this shit down because there's yeah. gonna be a lot of it. Well, I think that pretty much covers everything for us today, and we've uh, pretty much covered all the updates, so mm-hmm. I think now's a good time to sign off. Say goodnight to everyone. You guys have a fantastic night. Remember, as always, to love each other, to do something nice for someone throughout the day. doesn't matter whether you're holding the door, carrying groceries, carrying a grandma across the street. <laughs> I don't care what the fuck you do, as long as you're nice to people. Yeah. And... Basically, do what you would want other people to do for you, because the world is growing strange, and it's really kind of pissing me off. So if you could throw some more positivity other people's way, that would make a world of difference. So do not be a dick. Yeah, don't be a fucking asshole. Anyway, you guys have a fantastic new week, and we shall see you on Wednesday. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Corey Hepler for the Crazy Monkey Inc. podcast. I'm your fantastic and amazing creator of The Adventures of Taxi Cab Joe, Sexy Zombie Hunters, and a myriad of other shit that I'm coming out with this year. <laughs> it's good stuff. It's good stuff. And alongside me is my co-host, Jared Gifford. He is the creator and writer of Darren, Captain of the Stars. And Death Unicorn, Slayer of Bunnies, Sherlock Holmes, and a myriad of other fantastic projects he's going on about this year. Now, what's awesome is you are on your sixth script Mm -hmm. for Ronan Brothers, right? I'm actually on the fifth one, but I'm I'm getting near the end of it. Uh, but yeah, I've actually, uh, um, this one's actually been, uh, quite a fun one for me because I've really been enjoying doing the research because I've been researching a lot about the Edo period in Japan and, uh, um, and, and all, and also it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of playing to my love of samurai movies. Yeah. Um, so, <coughs> you know, just, just like I've said in previous podcasts, this has been like a dream project for me. You know, I mean, uh, you know, as much fun as I had creating Darum, I'm also having, you know, a ton of fun creating this stuff for Ronan Brothers. I mean, this is definitely, this is a, this is a comic I've been wanting to do for a long time. Nice. Now, do you realize that this podcast is almost a year old? Oh yeah, hey, almost one, almost one year old. People, we should uh, do a, uh, do an anniversary episode <laughs> with our clothes on, preferably. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but we do this podcast with our clothes completely off. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, that's because the <clears throat> uh, you know the seats chafe me when my clothes are on. You know, it, it, I, you tell me to keep taking out these straw seats, but I like them, you know. <laughs> they don't burn. <laughs> All right, now, <clears throat> we've got some Crazy Monkey Ink updates that I just barely read on Facebook. Yeah. So, apparently, we are nearing <clears throat> to the final completions of Cadence Lark is Furious, written by Brian J.O. Glass and drawn by Samir Samal. Now, if you're not familiar with Brian J.O. Glass, you need to go 
Slappy online so first. <clears throat> and go to Amazon.com. Yep. Look up Brian Joe Glass. Not only will you find some amazing stuff, but you will also see a catalog of things that he has brought out for for Dark Horse. He's also done some stuff for Marvel. Image. So this guy's pretty well versed in the comic industry, and he is definitely someone that I have um, the opportunity to get to know. He's a he's a wonderful person. He's down to earth, and he's someone who takes his time with his projects. And that's why whenever something comes out, you know that it's going to be the best that he mm -hmm. can bring out. Oh yeah, and, and the thing is, I've actually had a few conversations with him as well, and uh, what I, what I like about him uh, as a person is the fact I love how intelligent he is. The man is very well read. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, and that's what I'm saying, and that's that's something that I like because I mean, most uh, most of the people I know and are friends with are usually intellectuals. You know, I mean, hell, I mean, that, that, that's one of the reasons you and I are friends is because we're intellectuals. <laughs> Oh, I thought it was because you like my good taste in music. Well, there's that too. <laughs> that helps. But uh, this is true. But 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 anyway. Uh, but I, but I said. Uh, but you know. No, he's, he's a very smart guy. And 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 you can always tell whenever he does any project. Whenever he tackles a project. No, I mean he does like years of research before mm -hmm. he actually fully uh, dives into it. And then when he does, I mean, he's got these really great intric intricate stories. I mean, um, you know, I've been reading up on Mice Templar mm -hmm. and, uh, and, um, I'm, I'm, uh, I only have three more, three more volumes to get to, and then I'll have the whole set. Um, but, uh, but, but everything I have read and I, and I love it. Um, and this was actually among the first comic books I ever got from the guy was, was, was some of the individual issues of the Mice Templar. Okay. And, uh, what I love about it is, is he knows how to set up an epic story is, you know, he knows <clears throat> that you basically got to set up this whole, um, uh, you got, you got to, you got to establish a key character. You've got to establish a sort of legend around that character. Yeah. And then, um. Um, and then also, um, at the same time, you know, the, um, you know, there's that whole conflict about like, you know, um, he's got a lot of cool complex themes in there, you know, like what is destiny, what is not, you know, um, the whole thing of the fact that, um, is there, is, is there really such a thing as, um, as a destined chosen one, or is that something that, um, that somebody makes of themselves? You know, mm -hmm. I mean, it's got a lot of, like I said, it's got a really cool, complex theme to it. I love it, and, you know, that's what I'm saying. That's how you can tell that the man is a deep thinker, is because he's got these 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 really great questions in that, in every series he does. I mean, it, hell, um, in the, in, 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 in Furious, <coughs> and you and I have the, both have the first trait of that. Yes. Um... <clears throat> in in the original in the original story and um, and 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 he's furthering it in this new series Cadence Clark is furious <clears throat> but in the initial story of furious <clears throat> he um basically sets it up that you have this um that this girl who used to be like one of those <clears throat> Hollywood trash celebrities yeah and uh, she would uh, <clears throat> she was just horrible and she would do bad things with bad people yeah and um <clears throat> And then she feels like, and and you know, you kind of understand that that she basically drove her father to an early grave. Yeah. Um, and then another 
tragic thing happens is, uh, uh, and I don't know if I want to give too much away <laughs> because for those who haven't read it, but just, just, just so you know, it's not just a father thing, but there's another tragic event that happens in her life that basically teaches her, okay, I've got to do better for myself. Yeah. I've got to be a better person. And, uh, <clears throat> what happens is, uh, there's this experimental drug that ends up saving her life. And, but side effects is that it gives her superpowers. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then what happens is she realizes now that she, since she has these vast powers, she has a responsibility to use them wisely. And, um, what happens is, is that she actually uses the secret identity in a way that's actually kind of cool and unique. Most people, well, you have a secret identity because they want to protect loved ones or something like that. You know, typical superhero story. Mm -hmm. What all about his is it's not a typical superhero story. And the fact that the reason why she wears a mask is because she doesn't want to be recognized. She wants people to... Um, she wants people to love her, but she realizes that if they know who she is... They're, they're, you know, they're going to be like, oh, she's just doing it for the publicity or she's just, you know, <clears throat> you know, trying to pretend like she's some kind of unselfish bitch. Um, True. Um, so she wears a mask so that they don't recognize her. She, she basically um, wants to, she, she wants to make up for what she's done and she wants to do good things. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, she, so she wants to do good things and, um, and so she realizes if she gets recognized that that's all going to be taken away. Mm -hmm. So, so that's why she wears the mask is actually so she won't be, so she won't be recognized. Is that, yeah, other people do it to protect their family. She's not doing that at all. She's doing it because she realizes that she would be hated if they knew who she was. Exactly. And no, and so I, I totally love that you brought that up, but yeah, um, nearing completion near the uh completion on that and mm -hmm. it's looking awesome i mean what samir samal has done to kind of further what victor santos had helped uh, establish is great yeah i mean i i don't like to say this i think that samir samal is a very good successor to victor santos he really is he yeah. captures what furious is all about but in his own way, and it yeah. looks amazing. Oh yeah, exactly. <clears throat> you know, I, I love the fact that he's got this this very different, unique style, but it's still good, and it still fits within that universe. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, um, you said there there were also other few announcements you were talking about. Um, oh, um, there are only four more pages uh, to be. I want to say arted. I know it's not a word. <laughs> to, to be to to be finished penciling. To be finished penciling by the fantastic and amazing Gaspar. Yeah. Um of Taxicab Joe number three. Literally only four more pages to go. And then I can throw it to the letter letter and color Mike Montavo who Mike has the done, Magic Man Montavo. Who has done <laughs> amazing things to yeah. the comics of Crazy Monkey Inc. And the surprise to number three, like I've said in the past, it's going to be black and white with uh, obviously the blood and the yeah. gore being of red color. <laughs> yeah, as opposed to any other color. <laughs> They're aliens. I could have put blue blood. <laughs> No. Or, or purple or green, it doesn't no, matter. No, uh, oh, blue, uh, blue bloods. Are you sure you didn't want white collar bloods? No, actually, 
Sorry, I couldn't help myself. But but anyway, <coughs> no, but but, yeah, but no, I mean that's actual that's actually fantastic news. Yeah. Is uh, um, no, I mean you're gonna you're gonna love this, guys. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, you got taxi cab two, taxi cab Joe number two coming up here pretty soon. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you know number three is very close to being finished. Um, it's extremely violent. Extremely violent. Um, you know, I said I've got I'm I'm I've got several scripts ahead of 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 Ronan Brothers. I mean, I've got I've got Dare Dare material to last me for years on end. He's got Dare material to last until he dies, basically. <laughs> you could stop right now and you'd be fine. <laughs> um. So yeah, I mean, we've all got great stuff coming out. Um, also, um, I know that uh, Stefano Curticelli still hard at work on Romeo and Juliet: River of Blood. Yes. Um, and that actually should should also uh, be getting pretty close to being released. It's uh, it's close enough. Um, he's still got quite a few pages left, but he's digging away at it. And for every page that he brings out, it's looking amazing. Yeah, so th those, but if, if, for those of you who want to check out uh, Stefano Curticelli's stuff, he does actually already have two books released through our company. Yes. Um, if you want to check out some of his stuff, please check out um, Itoli's Finder and Cherry Bullet. Mm -hmm. And they're both <laughs> amazing comics. They're mature as balls. Oh, yeah. But... And I would never want someone to give them to their eight-year-old. Of course not. But it's definitely one of those things that... If, and, and, and here's the thing. The guys worked at Heavy Metal Magazine, and it's like one of those things that if you have read Heavy Metal Magazine and you know what we're talking about, mm -hmm. you can definitely tell it, this guy is... It, this guy is one of those kind of artists. Very, very mature, but still very good. Now, I have a question for you segueing into our... Um, subject for to for tonight. Yep. What is the <clears throat> principal driving force between having um, a mental illness and the creative process? Oh yes, and in, in fact, that's our main subject of our podcast tonight. I actually do want to take this opportunity to give a shout out to Gabriel Olraz Ramirez because he actually had suggested this topic tonight mm -hmm. and I'm glad that he did because this is actually a subject I have, have been wanting to actually um you know touch base on. Yeah. Um and uh, so um yeah, I think they're the, I, you know in my personal opinion once again I can't speak for everybody, but I can speak from my own personal experience. My own personal experience is that, yeah, there actually, I think there really is a connection between, um, between traumatic issues or mental health, which you say like mental yeah. health and creativity. Um, I know that from, for me speaking from my point of view mm -hmm. that, um, that, that it is, it is a thing because it's one of those things that, uh, one of the ways I deal with some of my own personal pain is I do it through my writing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, that, that, that's in there. I mean, you know, I mean, um, one of the things that happens with, uh, many of my characters, not all of them, mind you, but many of my characters is they usually have a traumatic experience revolving around a parent's death. Okay. And, uh, you know, that's kind of significant because of the fact that, you know, I had a traumatic experience with a parent's death when I was real young. So, um, you know, so, I mean, and it's usually them about about the ages of 13 to 14, which was pretty much my age, because I was 14 years old when my when my dad passed away, so. Um, so, no, I mean, I see it. 
I see the I, I see the uh, clear link in there. And then most of the bad guys that I write, most of the bad guys I write are usually based on the people who used to bully me back in high school. Now, it's a funny thing that you bring up bullying in uh, the creative process is because with a traumatic experience, <clears throat> um, it often, more times than not, creative people get kind of the cold shoulder and get yeah. made fun of a lot because their imaginations run wild when they're bringing up these creative ideas and bringing them out because I don't want to say normal people, but people that don't have the creative mind process inside of them, it's something of a, a, for, of a foreign abnormality. They see it as kind of a crutch and they don't understand how someone can be so far out there and come out with this wonderful stuff when what's funny and the irony that really is towards it is the fact that the normal people, quote unquote, nah. are oftentimes the ones that are reading or are participating the creative process mm -hmm. after the fact from that abnormality mental issued people like us <laughs> that bring it out. Yeah. So it's kind of like you see it as they're basically giving us the fuel to come out with this creative stuff yeah. so that they can appreciate it. So in a way, they're helping us mm -hmm. have a life that we normally wouldn't have. So you could say that in a way, bullying is a positive thing because it gives creative people a reason and a spectrum and a subject to be creative about. I'm not yeah. condoning bullying by any means, but yeah. if that's the process at which you come out with your creative ideas, maybe it's not necessarily a bad thing. Well, and as I said, in, 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 once again, in the proper context, and I yeah. like the fact you bring the light into the context of it, is that, because uh, no, I mean, personally, yeah, I mean, uh, no, no, just like, no, I, I do not encourage bullying, and I do not encourage people being dicks to each other. Yeah, I don't but, either. No, That's just no, fucked up. No, but, uh, but I do understand what you say, that, that sometimes with people like us who have been bullied in the past, it, it does seem to fuel a creative fire. Um, and, uh, and, but the thing is, is that, yeah, you know, um, but then there are many other traumatic things in our lives that, that, that happen, that, that happen, that, uh, that, that fuel our creativity. As I said, you know, one big traumatic thing in my life was, was when my father died. Mm -hmm. And that is something that is very much reflected in a lot of my writings. There, um, have Ugh. been a lot of creators, not necessarily in comics, but, <clears throat> also in novels, if you look at Ernest Hemingway, yep, he was in the he was in like what two wars, yeah, and then he wrote about his traumatic experiences, um, through his novels about war. Oh, J.R.R. Tolkien, one of our favorite authors, who, who uh, we talked about before, uh -huh. who, who's done things like the Hobbit, Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, um. One of the things is, is the reason why um, he knew how to describe warfare so well in those books was because he was a World War One veteran. Exactly. So, <coughs> in a way, tragedy yeah. is a beautiful thing because it can bring out amazing results. Now, that's mm -hmm. not to say that the tragedy wasn't, you know, something that they didn't need to go through. No. But... You all, you almost look at tragedy as kind of like a 
magical opening to the creative it process. Was, it was beneficial in this in this context, and I think I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Once again, back back going going back to context uh-huh. is that is that no, we're not wishing bad things to happen to people just we're so on, they can become creative. Just, yeah, like, that's just messed up. I'm gonna I'm gonna mess you up so you can be a creative as hell. No, because um, I believe in you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, no, no, we're not wishing for bad things to happen, but we're, we are saying that. That many times when bad things do happen, there's some good things that come out of it. And the good things are is that that traumatic experience could end up being the driving force for, like, somebody to come up with something very great and creative. And that traumatic experience has basically helped them to uh, to formulate these worlds in their heads. Because, exactly. I mean, I, I, know <clears throat> that, I know that when I do some writing... Um, mm-hmm. sometimes, sometimes I like to get involved in that world just because of the fact that, you know, I like to feel like I'm away from reality. Mm-hmm. And I love the fact that we bring up bullying because you and I were bullied relentlessly for years, middle school, high school. Yeah. And we use that as a means to, in a way, get back at those that bullied us. Yeah. In a creative way that's not harmful to those that have done that to us. Yeah, well and once again it's it's a good creative outlet and then here's the whole thing. Those who did those who those those who those who did bully us will, will probably not even read them anyway or if they do they probably even know that we're referencing them. Mhm. Um, you know, the it's really only those who will pay attention that will notice. And, uh, and, and, but, but once again, I, uh, you know, I've seen so many creators do this. I've, um, I'm not, I'm not unwilling to say that there are, that there are exceptions out there. Cause there probably are. All I'm saying is I haven't met the exception yet. What's really interesting that, um, you and I have both have found out is the fact that even inventors are seen as insane. Look at, look at, um, Ben Franklin. Yeah, Benjamin Franklin, good good example. And you look at Thomas Edison. Yep. Uh, Tesla. Yeah, Nikola Tesla, very <laughs> very creative guy. Um, and everybody thought that they were insane because their ideas were so far out there, they couldn't see the future that they saw. Exactly. Well, once again, you know, I mean. And then, and and that's that's the whole thing. And then, and then sometimes just in the context of some really great storytelling. But I mean, you even look at like, uh, like books that are written by Jules Verne. Yeah, Jules Verne was was talking about stuff that that we didn't have until like a hundred years later. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it, you know, once again, you know, I mean, it, it, but these are just were really creative people, and and once again, you know, they had they they had traumatic events happen in their lives, and then you know, it's like, because that's what I'm saying. It's like I know, um, I know that is true because I've you know I've seen it with so many different people. I mean, you've even had various tra- uh, tragic experiences in your life that I'm sure has been fuel for your creativity. Exactly. Um. <clears throat> The thing about um, traumatic experiences and the creative process is the traumatic experience in and of itself isn't necessarily the force which drives you to be creative. Mm -hmm. What drives you to be creative, for, for me anyway, 
is to get it out there so that people understand that there's someone who has gone through what they've gone through. Exactly. And that you can find courage in talking about it. It's, it doesn't have to be a taboo thing. You don't have to feel yeah. ashamed because you went through something that was out of your well, control. Sometimes you just want to get it off your chest. I yeah, mean, that's that too. Whole... That's yeah. a big reason people create is because they want to get all that anger and frustration out there. So that they don't have to fucking deal with it anymore. Yeah, basically they have dealt. Well, the way they actually are dealing with it, basically what happens is they've dealt with it so they don't have to keep it all bottled up inside anymore. And that's where the creative process comes in. Yeah, and, and it's a healing process. And see, that's where it's good. Mm -hmm. that we're bringing out the positive. Exactly. Well, a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, you're talking about traumatic events. How dare they? But no, once again, this is where the positive comes in. Yeah. The positive is that we, we get that stuff written down. Mm -hmm. We get it out there. We feel like we're... We can feel like it's a big relief on us now, yes. Because uh, because now we don't have to keep it bottled up inside anymore, and we feel like there's our release. Now people will read that, maybe even say, "Oh, hey, I can understand that. I can relate to that in a way." And uh, and then and then for us, we don't have to feel like it's this big taboo secret, like you said. Yeah. And uh, and 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 it doesn't. We don't hold it inside and cause more damage. That's fucking perfect right there. Yeah. In fact, um, you and I go through this, and I know that there's um, yeah. <clears throat> Edgar Allan Poe had gone through mm -hmm. anxiety and depression like fucking crazy throughout his complete creative uh, career, mm -hmm. and that's what fueled, well, aside from alcohol and opium, <laughs> um, fueled all of his stories was the fact that he, he did have high anxiety. He mm -hmm. was depressed. So instead of well, and, and you can doing always, the yeah. horrible, he mm -hmm. decided to take everything that was bad happening to him and create something wonderful out of it. Oh, yeah, because and you can even tell the difference. You can tell the difference in his story writing um, before, because uh, this was a big traumatic event in his life, was when his wife died. Yeah. And uh, you can tell the difference in his writings before his wife had died and the difference in his writings after his wife had died. Exactly. After his wife had died, he had penned the most iconic poem that I I listen to pretty much every night because yeah. it helps me realize that, you know, you can find closure in an immensely tragic situation. The Raven. Yeah, the Raven. I was just thinking that. Um, but yeah, he's, he, that was when he wrote... So many of his iconic horror stories that he wrote were written after his wife had died. Yeah, because he kept on having nightmares and, like... Yeah, he was depressed and he drank a lot. Well, yeah, that's when you got most of the big things. I mean, that's when uh, that's when he penned the Black Cat. That's when he penned the Telltale Heart. Yeah, um, the Golden Bug. Yeah, that's when he t uh, penned the Fall of the House of Usher. Mm-hmm. Um, the Red Mask. Yes. Oh, Mask or Mask of the Red Death. Mask of the Red Death. Yeah. Sorry, the the Mask of the Red Death. You're fine. I, um, all those Poe fans out there probably wanted to lynch me by now. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm a Poe fan, and I want to lynch you. Nah. <laughs> hey, I'm a Poe fan, too, and what's that say about me? Apparently, I'm a bad Poe fan. You should probably lynch yourself. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, get, I'll get some rope and just hang myself. There yeah. you go. <laughs> now, i got to ask you a question, because you, yeah. as a creative person, mm -hmm. you go through a lot of anxieties. I do. And mental, kind of like breakdowns in a way mm -hmm. what keeps you from getting to the point where you don't want to write anymore um 
You know, it's just various things that happen um, all the freaking time. And I think all of us go through this. It's just a, a very different, some, some some very different anxieties. Sometimes it's stuff that's brought on by maybe your day job. Yeah. Sometimes it's brought on by um, uh, by society in general. And then sometimes it just happens out of the blue. Sometimes, and, and you know, I mean, there have been days. There have been days, and I have no explanation for it. There have been days where I've been so freaking depressed and I had no good reason for it. Yeah. Just... And maybe, just maybe, those depressive days are something you have to get through mm -hmm. so that you can realize, okay, it's okay to have a day where I'm not fine. Yeah, exactly. You know, people, people beat themselves up so much because they have anxiety, depression, and they feel like it's a burden to other people. Like, it's mm. not a burden. If you yeah. have to go through a day like that, go through the fucking day. That's funny. Is there, there are some of us, like the fact you bring that up, there are some of us that have a hard time with that, especially for the kind of people that we don't like making people feel like they're bothered. Yeah. Like, I can tell one thing I deal with, and I don't know if it's the same with you, because uh, I notice that um, I'm a little more, I'm a little more introverted and you're a little more extroverted. You uh, don't say. I know. But, but I was saying, <laughs> but you can, but no, but you can let me know if this is something you go through as yeah, well. Um, but, uh, one thing I go through is that I don't tell a lot of people about my problems because I feel like they've already got enough of their own problems that they don't need mine on top of them. I think, and I know this sounds extremely selfish and yeah. I'm totally okay with that. Yeah. I think that's a big reason why I work as a correctional officer for troubled youth is because yeah. I like to hear other people's problems and I like to help them out with theirs, mm -hmm. but I don't necessarily like talking about my own because I'm a big boy. I got my <laughs> big boy fucking pants on. I can deal with my own shit. Yeah. And it's a rarity mm -hmm. that I even come to you with my issues. Yeah. You know, and it, you and I are the same because we don't want to feel pitied. Well, it's not you know? so much. It's not so much pity. As, 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 I mean, there's that too. There is yeah. that too. But another but reason why. But there's more to it. But but what I was gonna say is, my 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 thing about it is, yeah. is I don't want to. I don't want to overburden somebody else with my own problems. Yeah, because everybody else has got their They're, own problems yeah. to worry about yeah. anyway. You don't want to be like shoveling on the shit. I don't want to feel like yeah. I just, and then once again, and, and and you know, I know a lot of people would disagree with me on this one, but I just don't want to feel like like um, I I just don't want to feel like I'm taking advantage of somebody by basically it's like oh here are my problems I'm gonna dump them all on you and I expect you to solve them for me. Exactly because I look at it this way. <clears throat> Whenever I complain to you, yeah, and I don't do it often, but whenever I complain to you. You know that I never come to you complaining, wanting you to fix my problem. No, no. In some cases, it's just. <laughs> in some cases, it's just like with so many other people. In some cases, it's just because you want to vent. You're you're frustrated about the problem, so talking about it just makes you feel better. It really does. Yeah, and and, and it's not necessarily that you're um, asking me for a solution. Um, you know, in some cases you do. Yeah. But but you're usually pretty quick to ask me for one. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're guys. We do that. Well, of um, course. Um, but, uh, but, um, but for the most part, you know, usually you and I, when, when we do that, it's because we just want to vent the problem out. We, we most likely already got the solution worked out in our heads. Yeah. We just want to vent the problem so that we don't, like, explode on somebody who doesn't deserve it. Exactly. And with, with mental health, even as a writer, there's got to be a point 
mm-hmm. as a writer where you can take a day or maybe even half a day, it doesn't matter how much it is. Yeah. Is and just do you. Don't have yeah. to worry about the existential, you know, crises of life. You don't have to worry about writing shit down. Just yeah. play a video game, read a book, go out for a walk, go pet your dog. I don't care what the fuck it is. Do the but, something for you. But give yourself some type of release so you don't feel like you constantly have to be doing the go, go, go. You exactly. know? Well, everybody needs it. And the funny thing is, is a lot of people aren't realizing this, but the, but yeah, that's the whole thing is that, uh, is that we as a people actually require that. We require that for our mental health. What do you think they gave us fucking naps in kindergarten? They yeah. knew we were going to, like, kill, kill each other if we didn't have that. Yeah. Once again, <laughs> but, you know, but it's good for our mental health in several several different ways. First off, we, we, we need to have times where, where we're not stressing about what's going to happen uh, for the next day. Yeah. We need times, um, as, as people, we need times where we're basically... Um, we have something to look forward to rather than, than say, maybe the day-to-day grind. Mm-hmm. Um, we as people, you know, um, also, and, and, and it goes with our sleep as well. Because here's the biggest problem, especially for those of us that work, is that is that many of us, many of us on a standard work day, um, if we're lucky, get five to six hours of sleep a day. If we're lucky. If we're lucky. That's why I said that's why I said if we're lucky. Sometimes even less. Exactly. But here's but here's the problem but here's the problem with that. That is not good for your health. Nope. It is not good for your health to do that. You you actually have to have days where you can sleep in because that's good for that's good not only for your mental health, but for your physical health. It affects both. Exactly. And if you're not taking care and it goes hand in hand. If you're yeah. not taking care of your physical form, your mental form is going to like deteriorate. Yeah. Just as if you're not taking care of your mental and emotional well-being, you, you, the physical part is just going to fucking crash until you're evened out. Exactly. <laughs> in fact, in fact, one of the things that happens, and, and this happens as you get older, and I can and I can even attest to this. Is you're that, getting older. I know. God, it's almost like time keeps moving by or something. Shit. <laughs> but uh but what i'm saying is what happens is as you get older it gets even harder to do that because there's thing when you're a when you're a young person um and when i say that i'm talking about uh, people who are basically from from the ages of like 10 to maybe like 30 um the thing is is that you're you can recover a lot faster mm-hmm. so you could you could you could stay you could stay up one night um, most of the time, maybe only get an hour's worth of sleep and still be functional. I remember that, those days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, the, um, funny thing about that is that, um, uh, is, is that, um, is, is that as, as you grow older, as you grow older, like, you know, um, you know, I'm 37, um, you're going to be turning 39 this year. 40. Yeah. 40. Turning 40 this year. Oh, you Derek just barely I... turned 39. That's right. Um, Are you trying to make me feel younger? You're uh, so sweet. No, but, but hold on. <laughs> hold on. Stay with me on this. Stay with me on this. But what I'm saying is, and you can probably attest to this too, yeah. it gets much, much harder to do that. Oh, Jesus and, Christ. In fact, in, fact, in fact, now, now, if we're not getting enough sleep, if we've had one of those nights where we're only getting four to five hours sleep, um, 
there uh, you do that for so long and then you crash and burn there's just a day there'll just be a day and it'll happen at some some point where you'll probably just be sitting down in a chair and then you just fall asleep i know that you've done that quite a few times yeah. in the past couple of weeks because there have been nights where i've been working i've been wanting yeah. to talk to you and yeah. then you're like i'll see you coming on at like nine ten in the morning i was like yeah. Like, ah, he crashed. He, yeah, he fell asleep again. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes uh, you need that. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. It's like, uh, so yeah, it's it's one of those things that uh, just just be mindful of it. When, as you as you get older, just be aware of the fact that uh, you're, you're not going to be able to bounce back from every situation like you did as a kid. No. So make sure you're taking care of yourself. Making sure you're getting enough sleep. That you that you're eating the right diet, and here's the whole thing. I um, you, you know, if you want to consult your dietitian, that's that's fine. You Just know, don't consult us because we have yeah. horrible diets. But but no, but what I, but what I do <laughs> want to say is, there's actually a good cheap way to find out whether or not you're eating something that's good for you or not. Because here's the thing: your body will let you know. Stop going to McDonald's. You know, well, once again, here's the thing: your body will let you know. Pretty much, if it's something bad for you, well, your body's not going to feel so good. It's if it's something that's good for you, your body's going to feel a lot more reinvigorated and re-energized. It's really, it's so funny, it's a lot of people complicate it, but it's really that simple. Your body will let you know what's good and what's bad for you. And on that note, yeah. when you think of mm -hmm. mental illnesses in mm -hmm. the creative mind... Yeah. What besides anxiety and depression pop into your mind as things that writers and creative people deal with on a day-to-day -day basis? Well, I think it's the normal spectrum of things. Um, the thing is, is that uh, each creator, I think, kind of goes through their own uh, trials and their own uh, sort of journey. Yeah. Um, and I think um, what it comes down to is that um, what is it that um, what is it that you're most afraid of? In fact, I'd, I'd have to say that um, many of the uh, well, uh, well, many emotions really. Um, any writer or, cre or creative person in general, a lot of what they create is kind of a reflection of their mental state. True. Um, you know, many of the people who, um, many, many of the people who, um, usually, um, struggle with depression a lot usually have very, um, usually have very dark stories. And I can attest to that as well. Um, the, uh, many of the people who, um, who struggle with, uh, narcissism, uh, which is a thing. Yeah, it is. Um, Many people who have that, uh, you can you can tell that that in the, in their in their works um, because there's that tinge of narcissism to it, um, and uh, many people who deal with anger issues, um, you can uh, you know um, yeah you can see that reflected in their works as well. I mean you know yeah I noticed you just raised your hand there. <laughs> I, I will readily admit I have anger issues like a motherfucker. And but I, I, I'd, I'd say it's probably pretty uh, evident in uh, in that first issue of Taxi Cab Joe. No, people die. Yeah. <laughs> Shitloads of people die. <laughs> but I, I, I'd like to thank, you know, my higher power and God for giving me the talent to write. Because mm -hmm. had I not had that and had we not had the ability to write and do well at writing, 
I don't know where the hell we would have been. Oh, exactly. You know, without having this outlet, it, this yeah. is a very strange and unusual and amazing outlet. And I don't know about you, but I actually really enjoy being a writer. Oh, yeah. No, in fact, <clears throat> I'm glad we have kind of gone into it as we have. Because the funny thing was, is that, you know, and, and I think I've talked about this in previous podcasts, but uh, um, if I haven't, well, here it is, is that uh, um, I know that it was like a, because you and I, interesting enough, had had done a few creative projects back when we were in school. Um, but then we kind of fell out of that. Interesting enough, I, I noticed once we got into our 20s, mm -hmm. we kind of fell into this whole trap of what society had told us what was expected of us. Basically, we got a job. We did the whole nine to five thing we we we, we basically were you, you know uh we're doing what was expected of us and uh and and <clears throat> we were we, you know we we're leaving behind those childish things yeah because who doesn't want to be creative yeah well once again we fell into that trap yeah but i noticed um and this is where it's funny you derek and i had, had this conversation before but this is where i'm actually glad about my 30s mm-hmm is once we hit our thirties, though I noticed this, we had we had like a several revelatory events that basically showed us that uh, um, what our, what our direction was. If we were directionless before, it showed us our direction, and then you know it kind of it kind of started when we both started getting back into comic books and mm -hmm. everything, yeah. and started really loving that whole side of it again. And then we both back got got back into writing. Yeah. Um, and uh, and that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm glad for. And 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 to tell you the truth, I'm actually glad that that happened in my 30s because um I'm pretty sh I'm pretty sure that I that I wouldn't have appreciated it in my 20s. My 20s was kind of a blur until like on up until the late era. Yeah. That I had my daughter and got a family. Yeah. But I totally get you, like, cause the 20s <clears throat> mm -hmm. just kind of fucking went by. Yeah, it's funny. I remember more stuff <clears throat> in my 30s than I remember some of the stuff in my 20s. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, I have a question for you. Um, mm -hmm. How would you tell someone that wanted to write, that had kind of like maybe anxiety or depression, mm -hmm. how would you tell them to get on board with the train of writing? What, yeah. what tools and... You know, facets what they need. Oh well, um, what I'd simply tell them is that, um, that first off, um, that they have first off they first off they have nothing to be ashamed of. Yeah. Because because uh, many of us, many of us in the creative field, are the same way. We have our own issues. Mm -hmm. Um, that we deal with, and I and I would and I'd also tell them that um, that uh, that writing can be a good tool. To help them deal with the problem <clears throat> they have, that it help will help them get it out. Uh, it's it's a release. That's what I tell them. Yeah, I tell them writing can be a release for the problems that you have, and this is a this is your way of basically mentally um, handling the problems that you've had in your life, mm -hmm. the ones that maybe you've repressed. Yeah, and 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 this is a good outlet for that, and this can this can be a way of showing you that that you're not you're you're not alone you're not you're not isolated you're 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 not a person who has to struggle with this on their own mm -hmm. if you 
if you take these problems that you have and you turn them into this wonderful creative thing, mm -hmm. you'll find that you actually have more people who have more in common with you than you don't. Uh-huh. This is true. <laughs> now, um, we're going to go on to our book recommendations and comic recommendations because I want to come back to this a little bit. Okay, no problem. <clears throat> um, you go first because I like what you bring to the table as far as those two are concerned. Okay, <laughs> no problem, no problem. Um, let's see. Um, book recommendations and comic recommendations. Well, um, with comic recommendations... And I know I've recommended this before, but it's still really awesome. And I, I'm going to recommend – well, actually, you had recommended – you had actually recommended one run of this, and I'll recommend another run. Okay. I remember one of the last podcasts, you had recommended the um, the um, Roy Thomas Barry Windsor Smith run of Conan. Yeah. Well, I'm going to <clears> – <throat> I'm going to do the follow-up. I'm going to recommend the Roy Thomas John Buscema run of Conan. You dirty bastard! <laughs> That's awesome. Oh yeah, uh, and, and 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 no, and he he brought a lot of cool stuff to the table. And those who don't know John Buscema, no, please check out his stuff. He did a lot of really cool stuff for Marvel back in the day. Mm -hmm. Did a really awesome Thor run, um, you know, uh, and and just yeah. So please check out his other stuff. But yeah, no, I mean, I love the stuff that he did on Conan. Uh, you know, he uh, John Buscema was a, was a good successor to Barry Windsor Smith. Oh yeah, he he freaking hit that shit out of the ballpark. Oh yeah, and so that's my comic book recommendations. As far as novel recommendations, well, I'm going to go down the same road. I'm going to go down the same road, and because I just love this character and I love the author and his works, I'm going to suggest the um all the Conan the Barbarian stories that were written by Robert E. Howard. Mm-hmm. In fact, there's a mm -hmm. compilation mm -hmm. of the Conan stories of Robert E. Howard over at mm -hmm. Barnes and Noble for like forty bucks. It's this thick yeah. this thick book. Oh it's yeah. Awesome. Oh, but yeah, definitely check it out. Check out check out his Conan stuff. Um and, and check out his other stuff too. He's actually got plenty of other great things, but no, but definitely if you're going to get into Robert E. Howard, I mean, this is the guy who helped create the sword and, uh, the, the sword and sorcery genre. Mm hmm Oh, and so, uh, no, definitely check that out. And uh, anyway, uh, what about you? What are uh, your recommendations? Um, For my book, I am going to recommend basically anything by Patricia Cornwell. Oh, nice. <clears throat> she does a murder mystery and suspense. Yeah. And she did this uh, <clears throat> this one on the portrait of a killer, mm -hmm. Jack the Ripper. Oh, nice. And she does a historical fiction type case study of the, a, a book about who Jack the Ripper really was. And just like, she's got pictures and she's got like a story going on about it. Nice. And it's really, really in depth and it's really cool. And I... Uh -huh. She's a fantastic writer, so if you get a chance to check that one out. Oh no, definitely, definitely. Uh, no, that's that's pretty awesome. All right, uh, what about your comic book recommendations? Comic book recommendation. I'm going to recommend something that is old, but is definitely something that you should check out. Yeah. And if you don't, you need to slap yourself. <laughs> what is it? And I think I've recommended it before, but I'm going to recommend it again. Basically, any comic. 
by any comic that has Dick Tracy in it. Oh, Dick Tracy. Just, yeah, Dick, Tra Dick Tracy. <laughs> just, uh, uh, Dick Tracy in general. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, for those, for those who don't know, Dick Tracy was one of those, uh, was one of those comic strips that, uh, that, that, uh, it was, um, um, it came out around the same time as comic books like Flash Gordon and Buck mm -hmm. Rogers and, and, uh, and, and, uh, even some of the, the Tarzan stuff. Yeah. Um, it was part of that comic strip era. This was before they had comic books. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, um, and, and you can find some of the stuff, uh, you can find some of the, like, like the archival, um, Dick Tracy books and it com and compiles a lot of the old stuff. Definitely worth it. But I mean, this is where, this is where you started getting like your rogues gallery of bad guys. Yeah. Uh, Dick Tracy was one of the books that kind of helped pave the way for things like, like say Batman's rogues gallery, mm -hmm. because I mean, um, you know, you had, you, you, um, I, I mean, you know, uh, you had people in Dick Tracy, like uh, the faceless man, you know, uh, yeah, flat um, top, flat top. Yeah, exactly. And you'd remember most of the names. I'm, I'm, my memory is betraying me, but, yeah. uh, but, Tommy Gunn, he was exactly. a favorite of mine. Yeah, exactly. But see, that was where they got a lot of the, the sort of the, the nicknames for bad guys. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so basically anything with Dick Tracy in it, fantastic read. Um, also, if you're interested in some amazing comics, mm -hmm. you should definitely visit IndiePlanet.com. Oh, yeah. Because I'm told <laughs> from a little party yeah. that Crazy Monkey Inc. is on that. Oh, yeah. In fact, if you want to, you can look up Crazy Monkey Inc., and that's ink with a K., um, and you can find our entire line of comics mm -hmm. on there, or if you're looking for something in particular, like, uh, you know, maybe say what we write, <laughs> just, uh, look up the adventures of taxi cab Joe or type in Darren and you will find our books. <laughs> exactly. But like I said, if you're wanting to check out everything that crazy monkey Inc has to offer, yeah, just type in crazy monkey Inc. That's ink with a K once again. And, uh, and, and you will find our entire line of books there on indie planet um and yeah definitely um uh, we got uh you check it out we got uh print copies for five dollars yes and we've got digital copies for a dollar fifty now the reason i bring up dick tracy is you know who's making a new fantastic run of dick tracy who's that michael avon oming oh and i was looking at some of it and i was like this is fucking good Nice, <laughs> so, nice. I, I gotta give him props for that. And he's got the art style for it. He really he's got does. the art style for it. Um, Reminis, uh, and I'm, I'm guessing it's probably you know. And I, and I'd seen this because I'd actually started checking out his power stuff lately. Yeah. And I'm guessing that this new Dick Tracy stuff is. Uh, I'm hoping anyway mm -hmm. that it's reminiscent of his stuff that he, uh, the, his power stuff. It really is. Um, and what's interesting is he gives. Dick Tracy, you know how Dick Tracy back in the day, he kind of had uh -huh. kind of a blockish round face. Yeah. A little bit. Um, mm -hmm. Well, Omin gives him more of a roundish kind of like good guy, 40s type of detective look. Yeah. Um, and the, 
Not to mention, Oming's art style is fucking amazing, regardless of the fact, regardless yeah. <laughs> of what comic he's he's drawing. He's for. drawing, yeah. But this Dick Tracy run, just the pictures that he's been throwing up on Twitter, I know for a fact I'm getting it when it comes out <laughs> because, god damn it, that man is amazing at what he does. Yeah, I'm giving props like crazy because Oming, he's been mm. in the industry for a while, and he's graced the comic industry with his love and his passion for comics and he's also worked with decades. many and he won, he's also worked with many many great writers mm-hmm. he worked um, with Brian J.L. Glass yeah he's worked with him on on several different projects he's also worked with Brian Michael Bendis yes um you know um he's even done some stuff on his own um the 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 thing the thing is is yeah he's just you know so it just and and this is also the guy and I want to give him credit for this because I love the movie personally mm-hmm. and made the graphic and all that this is the guy who also created Bulletproof Monk yeah I know <laughs> yeah I was really shocked when the that came out because I was like this looks really familiar yeah <laughs> exactly so no the, the high props to him um and and then uh before we end i want to get back into the mental health thing and, and i yeah. actually do want to say i actually do want to say this um is that no i i can definitely say this too as well and, and you and i both talk about this no i mean uh comic books comic books and, and getting into writing itself i mean doing that that saved my life that that quite literally saved my life yeah because if i didn't have that i probably might have taken my own life a whole a, a long long time ago same um, with me too yeah you know. so so i know i'm glad that we both have that creative outlet because i mean that's that's i think that's something that saved the both of us so no i can definitely say from my experience and once again i'm i want to thank raz for bringing up this subject but from my experience experience i have to say that there is a link to mental health and creativity um you know as i said i'm sure there are exceptions out there but i have yet to meet the exception i have too because it it takes someone extremely extraordinary and kind of off kilter if you will yeah to come up with the outlandish and amazing stuff that that we do Mm-hmm. Oh, I agree. I agree. Uh, and one uh, well, that's what I'm saying. And then, as we talked about, it's life experience is what fuels your creativity. It really and, does. And and then many of the the reason why I think it's linked is because when you have a traumatic experience and you put that into your writings, mm-hmm. um, when people read it, they I think they they feel it. They they don't just see it and they don't just read, it, but they feel it. There's just there's just a way you can feel something, and it's not gonna feel genuine if it's coming from a person who's never experienced that thing. And that is a very very good point. Yeah, Jared, I wanted to thank you as always for coming and being on this podcast because you yeah. are fucking amazing. <laughs> well, thank you, thank you. It's always good to be here. And just your knowledge of the mental health. And the creative process and the intertwining between the two, mm-hmm. that's always a plus. So thank you for giving your input on that as well. Oh, uh, you know, I'm always, I'm always glad to uh, contribute what I can. And, you know, I'm, 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 I definitely was, will admit this. If I don't know a whole bunch on a subject, I will readily admit it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I'm not going to try and, um, you know, and explain away 
what I think should be done because how would I know if I don't have any experience in it? But no, this is something that I do actually have experience in, so I'm more than happy to contribute. Yeah. Um, and and you as well, though. You know, you also have added some great insight as well. But I know that you also, um, in addition to have you know once again having your own traumatic experiences. For those that don't know, and, uh, and I'm going to toot his horn now, uh, you know, for as horrible as that sounds. Um, I'm at it. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but Corey here has actually studied psychology, and, uh, that, and so this is actually a subject that he's actually got some experience in. And I'm extremely passionate about psychology, too, because like you and I, um, we, when you can understand why someone is the way they are... Yeah it's a lot easier to empathize with them and to give and to help them with a little bit of sympathy because you realize that they are battling something that they're going to be battling their whole life. Oh, yeah. And with the creative process and <clears throat> making that a part of who they are and who we are, it makes life a little more manageable. Yeah, exactly. A little more, less stress-free. Exactly. No, and and I completely agree with you, and that's what I'm saying. So, and and, and that's what I'm saying. I think that uh, what I like about it is that you know, not only have you experienced traumatic stuff the same as me, mm -hmm. but you've also studied studied up on psychology, so you can actually learn how to help heal minds. I, you know, at the end of the day, that's something that I feel I would like to do with my writing. Yeah, and if it. If someone finds any type of inspiration whatsoever, be it through Darum, Ronan yeah. Brothers, yeah. You know, Taxi Cab Joe, Sexy Zombie Hunters, I don't know how you're going to find inspiration from that. <laughs> you, just, you never know, inspiration can come in the weirdest places. Because that's just balls to the wall, tits, zombies, and shooting. Uh -huh. um, but if you find inspiration out of it, you know, have at it. <laughs> uh, but I feel that as we tackle these issues... And we talk about um, these issues mm. that a lot of people suffer from and mm. try to go just day to day just to get the day over with, you know? Exactly. It, it helps. Exactly. And that's what I'm saying. And, and I think um, a lot of people feel like it's, it's very helpful when they feel like they're reading material that's coming from someone who understands their their plight, their, their situation in life. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I, I definitely think it's helpful and I definitely think there's a connection. Um, anyway, um, uh, I want to, I want to end personally by once again, thanking Raz for bringing up this subject. Uh, this is a subject I, I don't know why we haven't tackled yet, but I'm so glad that we have. We might come back on another separate episode in the oh, future exactly. yeah. and kind of touch a little more in depth on the process of creativity and the mental mind because I know that this is a wide mm. spectrum that we could spend episodes and episodes on. Oh yeah, exactly. So no, that's what I'm saying. It's like I'm I'm up for uh maybe uh rehitting on this at a future date. Um for those that were expecting uh, an episode on J. Michael Straczynski, we do apologize. We didn't do it this week, but this was a, a subject that was near and dear to our hearts, and I and I really wanted to touch on that. However, to make up for it, on the next episode, we will be covering J. Michael Straczynski. Which will be this Saturday. Yes. So, look forward to that. 
Um, as always, thank you for listening. You guys have been a tremendous audience. You have brought friends. You have brought comrades. You have brought yes parents, dogs, birds, <laughs> cats, whales. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I'm just... We're having a whale of a time. <laughs> I'm just glad that you guys have been along for the ride and have stuck in it because we we really do love the support and we love um, the community that we have brought about and that we have so far. If you have anybody else that wants to hear our ramblings on comics, mental health issues, anything that you think that they could benefit from hearing from us, have yeah. at it. Let them listen to our podcast. Oh, yeah, exactly. In fact, uh, just right right before we close, yeah. and I know you wanted to touch on this, um, just letting you know real quick, Anchor has actually teamed up with Spotify. Yes, it has. And uh, Anchor is what we run our podcast from. Anyway, they've teamed up with Spotify, and so now... You uh you can catch um uh, any any new episodes that come out now I can't speak for the old ones but any new episodes that come that come out you will for sure find them on Spotify so definitely check that out I mean and this is a good thing for everybody so yeah so for those of you who have Spotify I know many of you do check out our podcast there anyway I think it's a good time to sign off say good night to everyone all right have a good night love each other do something good for each other. And we will see you on Saturday.